our small keybar junior is about half the size of a standard keybar. Actually, it's about two thirds of the size, but it doesn't come with a pocket clip. Uh, our pocket clips are titanium and it doesn't come with the extended screws to get you 12 keys. It only holds five keys and it, it can be extended. It just doesn't come with everything you need. And that's um, $20 is our entry. And then they go up to the world's most expensive key holder we have, which is solid silver with 57 black diamonds and it gets crazy. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's show is Mike Taylor, inventor and owner of Keybar. A Keybar is an organizer for keys and other tools that fold out in a style similar to that of a Swiss Army knife. Mike is continuously focused on innovating and building his rapidly growing brand. One of the keys to his creative process is constantly learning and playing with new technology and equipment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to have Mike Taylor, owner and founder of Keybar in Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for doing it. I actually met Mike last week. He contacted us about a Torno Swiss machine we're selling, a GT26, and um, got to learn about his company. And it seems like it's it's really a, a special thing. And people in our audience, they're always interested in learning about other companies that have products. Some people consider that like the holy grail. If only I had a great product. And obviously, there's positives and negatives about everything. Just to get started, I want to get a quick summary of what a key bar is. Um, and then, then we'll talk a little bit about the story of it. And then I'll grill you about the specifics. So yeah, Keybar is basically like a multi-tool style key holder. So it's a key holder comes in all different types of non-ferrous metals. We can get everything from aluminum up to titanium and whatever your choices are there. So you take it apart, put your keys inside of it, and it's expandable. So you can put more keys, less keys. And then we make about 
I'd say about 30 different tools to go into it. As you know, we're always adding different accessories and different things to add to it. Um, it has a pocket clip. So the full size key bar comes with a pocket clip and there's three pocket clip options for your preference carry. Well, for people listening, and most of the people on this are listening, correct me if it's not a very good way of summarizing it, but it kind of reminds you of a Swiss Army knife. No blades, but keys. Maybe a blade thrown in here. But that's how it opens up. Like you switch it up and there's a different key or a different tool. Would you say that's a good way of putting it? Yeah, perfect example. But kind of like a jackknife. You know, you think of a jackknife, a folding knife, right? The key bar kind of started because I got into custom knives and making pocket knives. And I wasn't a very good knife maker. And I was like, man, but I can make a key holder, right? So just getting started, that was what I did. And um, actually worked in the hotel industry. Right. I love this story. So give us the origin now. You were you were working in a hotel. Yeah, well, I didn't even actually tell you the whole story. It's, um, it's on my website. But basically, one day I went to the restroom and I went to a, you know, a 10 stall and I dropped my pants and three stalls down. Somebody said, hey, Mike, when are we going to lunch? You were working as uh, the head of maintenance at a hotel? Yeah, I was a uh, director of engineering for uh, four hotels at the time. And so I ran the maintenance department. So, so you had a lot of keys. Had 15 keys and screwdrivers and all kinds of stuff, and mainly the keys. And so everywhere I went, I was holding my keys and they were jingle jangling, right? So that day when he asked me when, I, when we were going to lunch from three stalls down, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fix this problem. And another issue I was having is I would go into the shop kind of like this and everybody would be working. And when I got in there, you know, it wasn't a lot of work to be done. And so they would hear me coming and they would just all hustle to start working because they heard my keys. So it was really, but yeah, I uh, had a problem. And I solved it. All of a sudden, everybody wanted them. And it just kind of exploded that first couple of years. At the time, I, I didn't know anything about machines. So we're on a machining podcast, right? And I had zero knowledge of a end mill. Back up, Mike. Back up. So, okay, you had this problem and then you went home one day and you, what? Were you looking at a pocket knife and then... This is a whole nother podcast. Um this actually, it, it did start with pocket knives and I actually thought it was all pocket knives. Um, there was a contest of carve a pumpkin, show a video of you carving it, what knife you use, and you could win all these. It was like $6,000 worth of knives from about 30 different people. Long story short, I carved a pumpkin underwater and won all these knives. And then I was introduced into the knife world. And then, um, so I was like, this is amazing. And one of those things I won was a trip to blade show. So that's like our IMTS, right? knife. It's the biggest knife show in the world. Every make Anybody who's anybody in the knife industry is at this show. And I got thrown into it head, you know, you, you got, I got to see all these different processes that I and heard about things, machines and tools and materials I had never heard of before. And so I took some material home and I made a key bar out of it. And so then everybody wanted a key bar and then it became a business, which I was never expecting it to be. It was, it was to solve my problem. And when I was making more money at night, grinding these things, cause I was going, Hey, I was going to home Depot and buying bar stock. Again, I was saying, I didn't know what a grinder, I didn't know what a machine was. I had no idea. So I was going to home Depot, buying bar stock, grinding it out on a one by 30 from Harbor Freight, drilling holes, tapping holes. And I was making these things by hand originally and found out about water jetting. Right. And then there was a company locally, he had a water jet and he made them for me. I still had to do all the 
corner radiuses and tapping and everything. Well, then I found out about CNC machines and it went, it just, it just keeps going. And every day I'm learning about new stuff and new machines. And so what was your first machine? A Haas? Well, the first machine I bought was a laser engraver. It was an Epilogue fiber laser engraver. So it was like the biggest one they make. And it was because I got a job. I was outsourcing my product to a local company. At that time, I was they were CNC machining them for me. And it was a local place. And we were finishing them. And a company needed their logo. At the time, I was doing everything with vinyl stickers and a sandblaster. It was, you know, getting it done, but not perfect. And so this big company wanted their logos. And it was like, I'm, I'm going to go buy a machine to do that. And um, I didn't know anything about lasers. At the time, nobody knew what these lasers were capable of. And I started doing some really unique stuff on an epilogue fiber laser that nobody was doing. That was my first piece of like equipment I bought. Then we exploded and it became, okay, we got to get out of my garage. We were very blessed to be able to, after that first a year and a half, two years, um, we bought this building. And we bought a VF4 and we bought two different, not this brand, but we bought a, two sets of real Gavo lasers, right? They weren't the gantry. The epilogue was a gantry. And how did you explode? How did you explode from, from social media? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Instagram was new. It was kind of like... What year? 2012, 2012-13. So it was all new and um, there was no throttling of posts, right? So we gained a, a, a significant audience and those audience saw our product and it was very direct to the customer, right? There was no, no middleman. Nowadays, you have to work a lot harder for those people to see your stuff. But anyway, that's a whole nother podcast again. And I actually bought that machine, not, again, like I said, not knowing what an end mill was, not knowing what a collet was or anything. And basically sat it on my floor and I was still having the local person outsource and I had somebody write some programs and help me with a fixture. And, and um, within a couple months, we were making our own aluminum parts. And it, it took me about a year to really start cutting titanium. But man, uh, buying that first machine was scary because we didn't know what we were. I didn't know what I was doing. And you bought it used? No, I bought it brand new. And, um, oh, brand new. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we bought it new, fully optioned and all. And um, I was going to buy a VF2. And um, the salesman was like, man, you might want to go with the bigger one. Uh, and I'm very grateful I did. That's been a rock solid machine. Um, it's done everything I, I needed it for. And we actually just picked up a VF2 brand new as well. So Okay, so you everything's exploding and you're a big fan of uh, titanium. Yeah, I really specialize in finishing titanium. And that's really what my passion is, whether it be everything we make is titanium, if we can make it out. If it doesn't need to be steel, like a hardened steel, like a knife blade, it could be titanium, we make it titanium. Perfect example sitting in front of me is a uh, is a simple one-piece titanium water jet lock. You push down on it, it springs up. No other material in the world is going to do that for you. And I can turn that blue, pink, green, I mean, whatever color you want. So that's one of the reasons why you like titanium, just because it turns all kinds of cool colors. Well, the flexibility of it, you know, it'll spring. And this is a carabiner we make. Um, It is a one-piece titanium gate for the people that can't hear. Um, And basically, we've added the tension into the gate by placing the holes in certain locations, right? And that gives you a spring. And so, yeah, the springiness of the titanium now... There's different grades, right? So you, if you don't need it to spring, you use grade two. But we use grade five on anything that needs to spring or be hard. Um, we even make titanium screwdrivers. And that would be one of the tools in the in the key bar. Yep. Okay, let's, let's go over the key bar a little bit more in detail. So somebody has maybe 
I don't know, five keys? And then what are the, some of the other things that would fit into one? We have a bunch of different tools. This is a, a, a lock plate for our mini razor blade. So a mini razor blade actually fits inside there and it flips out of the key bar. And this is the spring lock to hold the blade in. So this would flip out and you would replace the blade, close it, and you'd have a little mini razor blade sticking out. Um, so we have those screwdrivers, bottle openers, you name it. I probably have it. Um, actually you named something the other day on our, on our conversation. Um, I, I, uh, I will take credit. (laughs) I came up with a suggestion on the phone because one of our customers, we have this customer in Spain and they gave us this gift of this letter opener in the shape of a sword. And it's, it's one of our favorite things. So I said to Mike, do you have a letter opener? And he said, no, I do not. And and then literally <laughs> one week later, I went to the website. There is a letter opener option for the key bar. Now that is very impressive. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I'm very blessed to be able to do. Um, you know, since we're not a job shop, we only make our own products. I love to come up with new stuff, whether that be we're making a skateboard or a sword or um, one of our big sellers is. Right. So I want you to talk about that. I mean, one of the things that you've mentioned in your creative process is trying to learn new things and just trying to play. I mean, it seems to me like you've got a good staff that's doing the production work, which frees you up to envision new things and just mess around and get things off the ground. But what's interesting is is that you'll make some things that aren't even the key bar. So why do you do that? And, and what does that do for you to make a skateboard or a katana or take it back? Why do you do that? And what does that do for you mentally? So I'd have to learn something new every day. That's my personality. I'm 100 miles an hour. And once I get something... That's fantastic, by the way. I mean, I feel exactly the same way. I try to write down at least one thing I learn every day. But it's amazing how few people have that philosophy. One of the things I ask on this show, every show, is what's something you learned last week? And I'd say three quarters of the people are like, shoot, I haven't learned anything lately. (laughs) The reason I'm talking to you is because I called you about a Swiss screw machine, right? And I did that because I saw a video of my buddy talking about his his Swiss screw machine. All all my buddies have Swiss screw machines. And uh, I'm like, man, I want a Swiss screw machine, right? And so... Right now, I can tell you pretty much how the brands I'm interested in, everything works. Like It's pretty much answer any question you have, and I don't even have one, right? And it's because I dove head deep into Swiss's for that full week because it just, it was something new. When something's new and excites me, you know, I, I really like to learn as much as I can. And then the next day, I'm going to, something else going to pique my interest. And I'm, and then, but it, you're back to them. You were talking about employees. Yeah. I mean, I've, I really like to perfect jobs and, you know, hire the right people to do those jobs and train them to do them right. So that's allowed me, yeah, to have the freedom to create. And my job is to grow my brand is to get people to buy key bars, you know, and it's to get them to click on my videos. And we have marketing people that that, that post and make videos. So yeah, I, my job is to build the brand, right? To expand the brand, um, to think what's next, right? 
I don't have a huge marketing team or sales team out there chasing big orders. And I don't have, you know, a shop manager for every department, right? And so at the end of the day, I'm the business owner. If a machine breaks, if that laser breaks, I want to know how to fix it. When my guy calls, I need to get that machine working. And if, if they can't take care of it, it's got to come to me. So go back to, um, you told me you made some skateboards out of titanium. Yeah, we got to show why, why did you make a skateboard out of titanium when you're focusing on key bars? Okay, because at the end of the day, I can only make so many key bars. If I ran the machines nonstop three shifts, we have key bars coming out of our ears, right? I can speed these things up, slow them down. You know, you as you know, I could buy more machines, put six machines, make as many key bars as we want. But at the end of the day, if you have a key bar or you, you know, you're lo- you love our brand and you love what we're doing and you want to support us, maybe you already have a bunch of keyboards. Well, that's where one of our like pin holders comes in or other products we make. And, and so stuff that's not keyboards has nothing to do with a keyboard. You know, it gives us some other way to connect to customers. So skateboards, for instance. I made the skateboard because I had a piece of titanium laying around and it was fun. Hold it up and give me some detailed description. Try to make it detailed for... Yeah, so what I'm holding is a three-eighths inch thick titanium billet plate, right? It is about two and a half feet long, about nine inches wide. It's completely honeycombed throughout on the water jet. It has milling in the center with gnarling and engraving on the laser. And it's got really nice uh, longboard trucks. The back's done as well. It's flame anodized. It's electro anodized. It's got all the processes in it. At the end of the day, it's about a $5,000 skateboard. And the re yes, why do we do this? Um, I made this skateboard to take to a trade show and put it on the counter. Because at the end of the day, if this sitting behind the counter, is going to stop somebody that might not stop because of the key bar. And then we have a conversation. And that conversation is, hey, I made that because I like the skateboard, right? And maybe now we're into the skateboard community, right? So I can now market to them with the skateboard. And, and it's just, I did it for fun. You must have listened to our serendipity podcast. That's what they call a serendipity hook. Yeah. Where you say, hey, I'm Mike. I make key bars, but I'm also passionate about skateboarding. Boom. All of a sudden, you have an entry into a whole nother conversation. And Absolutely. But you make the skateboard because it excites you and because it gets your creative juices flowing. Would you say that? Yeah. Now, the reason I make them is more for learning. It goes all back to learning. I, when I did that, I learned stuff my machine could do and couldn't do. That's awesome. And I learned, as a matter of fact, that skateboard taught me don't take stuff from the water jet to the CNC mill and expect the DXF files to mesh properly, right? Like that was one of the first things, one of the first projects. And this was all, again, a lot of this stuff is me learning my machines. I haven't been actually machining my own parts, but for about five years. So a lot of that time is just learning what a machine is, right? So the first couple of years is just out the window. And then um, we keep adding different processes. So water jets, lasers, uh, printing, and all these different things. And so we're always learning. And I just learned, well, I've, I've seen air spindles before, and, but I just really learned the capabilities of adding an air spindle to my hulls. What's, what's an air, what is an air spindle? So air turbine makes a spindle and it is a tool, a Cat 40 tool that goes right into your hulls and it runs at 65,000 RPM off of air pressure. I think they said up to two, two microns of accuracy. The thing is ridiculous and you can get them in all different um, sizes. You can even get them small and mount them on gantry, you know, home built units. I mean, the possibility is endless, but 
it basically adds 60,000 RPM to my machine. And now I can do surfacing and engraving and titanium. Matter of fact, I just did a surfacing routine on this keyboard. And it's like a four minute routine with a 60,000 RPM spindle. That's going to be down to like two minutes. Um, and I'm just, I'm learning about all this stuff and I don't even, I don't have it, but I'm diving full into it to make sure, you know, when we get, okay, first thing you run into is, is your air compressor going to be able to keep up, right? That's what you just got to, all these things. And I really like learning that stuff. Yeah. Well, you, you told me, I thought this was so cool. You said when you were talking about the possibility of getting the Tornos, which by the way, is the one thing you, you say you're not doing right now is making the screws for the key bars. Yeah. No, it's the only thing we, we, the only thing we don't make are the screws. Yes. Okay. And you said, you said the machine to you is almost like buying a new motorcycle or something. It would be like buying a new motorcycle. It, I, I pretty much am not going to count on it making me money for a while because, I mean, I would have to learn how to use a Swiss machine. And by going into it, looking at it like that, I think that kind of helps me not rush right? Not try to force the machine to do something it's not going to do and break something and cause more damage, more delays. That's that's quite a luxury because, you know, most people, if they're going to spend $100,000 for a machine, they're going to want to make some money from it pretty soon. You know, obviously the water jet was a perfect example. Like we knew it would make money immediately, but we kind of went into it like, look, we can outsource the parts that we're currently making until we got it dialed, right? And and that's kind of the way it is. I got a bunch of buddies with Swisses, and they can make my parts on their Swisses all day long for cheaper than I'm going to make them, let's be honest, because I'm going to wear out tools faster than they are. I'm going to have mess-ups that they're not having because they're pros. And so it's, at the end of the day, it would be cheaper for them to make my parts on a Swiss because that's what they do every day in the beginning, right? But then once I learned that machine, man, now these tools that are in my head impossible to make are not impossible anymore in, in some cases, right? But then that also leads you down rabbit holes into new machinery that you've never even heard of before. And more learning, more learning and more learning. And being new to this, I have learned about more machining capability, like different types of machines in the past year. So what did you learn? What did you learn today so far? Oh, today I learned carbon fiber and composite. I learned a lot about that. So we're working. How did you, how did you learn about it? Well, we machined a little bit of it and we said, Hey, that's not what we were expecting or wanting. And then, so we spent, you know, half the day perfecting, you know, basically a recipe to get a perfect finish on this new material that nobody's ever used before. It's basically somebody is, is making, right. Um, and I learned about a new printer this morning. So I got a new printer um, for labels and I spent a couple hours figuring that out. And again, now that it's figured out, um, tomorrow I'll train my guy that does stickers and, and own that machine. And then when it, he has problems, he can call me. If I have problems, I call the guy I bought it from and say, hey, how do I fix this? But it's not taking away time from him doing what he was supposed to do. And um, so, yeah, I, I basically put out fires and build the brand. And that's kind of... So you said to me before, and I've heard this from a few other... We did a season a little while back about people with their own products. There were some similarities with your business model. One of the things they said was that feedback from customers was something that fueled them, um, fueled their ideas and made improvements. So 
Explain a little about that. I'm holding, yeah, just happened to be holding a carabiner in my hand that we make. And we just released this uh, two weeks ago or something like that. For, for people that don't have a good vocabulary. Explain. Uh, it is a billet aluminum carabiner that hooks on a belt loop. So a carabiner is... It's like a belt loop uh, clip, right? And it has a spring gate. And the spring gate in this case is titanium. But the gate didn't sit perfectly flush inside the ramp here. And... I knew it. And the customers immediately, I took the first picture of it and posted it. And three comments were, Hey, that should, you know, you should move that over. So it's nice and flush. And I already knew it was already in the, it was actually already done in the program, but it was crazy to hear, you know, immediately three customers saw the pro saw a problem. So you had already solved the problem, but you still put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I do story. It was a story or something where we're making it, you know, and I'll show the process. Um, okay. So, so for the people that don't know, a lot of our audience, isn't that familiar with, with social media. So explain a story first, explain a story and then explain how you use the story. Yeah. So Instagram is what um, uh, Facebook, it also goes to Facebook. So on Facebook, you have your main feed and in Instagram, if you just click on it, you'll have pictures. Well, at the top, there's these little circles and they're stories. And what they are is 15 second clips um, that you can upload and they erase themselves after 24 hours. So like if, if there's something you want to show, but you know, you don't want it to be like the main focus on your page, you put it on your story or what you're doing every day, right? You don't need these um, videos of me walking around the shop 10 times filling up my page. So you put them on the story. Um, our stories actually get like five times the traction that our feed does. Do you think that those get more traction because people know that they might disappear and so they can't come back later? I don't think it's that. I think I just, I also breathe stories more than I do feeds um, because the feed has been, it's, it's very nitpicked of what you get to see. It's what they want you to see is what you're seeing. And you notice... I'll be honest. I mean, I have Instagram. I have Facebook. I'm so busy with other stuff that I, I don't go them as much as I probably should. Most people would say the opposite. But correct me if I'm wrong. Like when you're on there, even if you're following somebody, their stuff doesn't always come up? No, not... A, okay, perfect example. I have almost 200,000 followers. When I post a picture, my last picture was only sent out to 3,000 of my followers. Only 3,000 of my followers were able to even see it if they happen to scroll by it. Okay, but a story is different? Yes, the story will, um, I, I'm assuming it is. There's something with the algorithm. Currently, it's IG video. Ugh, this is a whole thing. That's a whole nother plug. Um, currently, the, the reels, now there's reels. Okay, there's a whole new thing. Reels are getting, again, five times the story tractions because Reels is trying to compete with TikTok. And so you're getting the Reels are promoted into the feed. So as you're scrolling the feed, you're seeing people's Reels. But they get more. So everything we post now goes to a Reel because that's what's getting most traction. That could change tomorrow. Just so you know, um, those guys, I mean, Big Brother is, they're watching where I've, gone to the website and when i've gone to instagram you guys have popped up on the instagram your advertisements have popped up on the instagram and i'm not following you and that's because you have a staff of three people that are just on this stuff 
you have a dedicated staff just for Instagram or just for social media. Yeah, yeah there's a couple of three people that, that you say you don't have a lot of advertising staff. But to me, that's a lot of advertising staff. There is multiple things those those people do. But uh, somebody's doing really well. I'm going to go ahead and give him a shout out on this podcast. Um, Octane Work Holding. So this is a guy that came onto Instagram about a year ago and he started showing his manual mill tricks. Okay. Old timers don't show their tricks and that's a thing, you know, and um, this guy started showing everything. He showed you how to balance a pipe with the end mill. I mean, all this stuff. And there's simple 10 second videos of just simple little machine shop tricks. Put tape here, put a spring here to hold the clamp up. I mean, these little things. I just clicked on it. His videos are now getting half a million views or likes. Okay. Likes. People are actually hitting likes. And, and he's not out to sell anything. He's not. Well, he's he just... is selling, he sells chip guards. So now he makes smart. He made a really nice chip guard that goes into any machine. He's got them in different sizes and they fill the T-slots. And so you have a rubber, basically my T-slots are full. And so chips don't get down in them anymore. And when you want to put something there, you just pull the rubber strip out. And, um, and so that was a product he made and he started doing these Instagram videos, kind of promoting his stuff. Same thing, right? Getting the traffic. And then, hey, guys, guess what? I sell this. You know what I mean? But they're really watching for the machine tricks. And uh, but then they see his awesome inventions and like, I'm going to support that guy. You know, I don't care what he sells. I'm going to spend the 20 bucks and buy whatever that trinket is just to support him because I've been watching his videos for a year and appreciate what he's doing, you know? And what, what was that stat you said the other day about, uh, there was a company that invested 4.9 million in social in influencers and then they made 50 million. So, um, there was an interview with, uh, and you, and people that are listening may have heard of them as a uh, rock form wallets. And basically, they're a company that outsources overseas and has their wallet made. And they spend their base. I like to think of uh, companies like this as marketing companies that sell a product, right? Because their main job is to market the product. Um, they don't have to worry about making it. And so they get to just create new designs and sell it. Well, they really hit it out the ballpark. And they spent $4.9 on YouTube influencers alone. Is from the interview I heard, right? And so for the people for the people here that don't exactly know what an influencer are is, would you say it's basically somebody who has a gazillion followers who's for some reason they're an authority about something? Yeah, and it's it's niche marketing too, right? Like um they don't have to have huge followers, just be prominent in their market, whether that be cars or makeup or whatever, right? If they're making a bunch of videos. And do you pay those people? We do. Do you pay influencers? We do. We do. And um, I like to pay people that I watch. So if you pay somebody, does that guarantee you that they're going to give a good review? Well, no, we don't do reviews. Um, reviews, we just give product out. So if somebody wants a review, we'll give you a key bar for review. We don't care. We don't tell you what. No, no. But I mean, when you tell an influencer. But when I pay them, I'm, I'm usually paying for a marketing spot, right? So I'm paying for 30 seconds at the beginning or the end or whatever the agreement is. And they're going to just say, hey, this video is sponsored by Keybar. Go check them out. And you'll see that nine times out of 10 in most big channels, YouTube videos now. So that price can range from two to $30,000 a video. And those are real numbers. The big channels are 30 grand this for 30 seconds. And so it gets into really big numbers. 
but the return is is obviously there. But is it hitting the right demographic? You have to do your research, right? But in this case, this company just threw the threw it out there to everybody, and and it paid off big because they hit home runs with some, and they lost with others, and it balanced out, and they did really you well. Don't, you don't have any desire to. We, do that. I mean, that's not who we are. We spend our you know money on new machines and and building our brand that way, and making new stuff and coming out with the next thing. And we, we spend a lot of money on marketing, but we have a plan. I pick people, I, I do pay many influencers and I, I pick people that I want to work with, right? I don't want to, I race motorcycles. So I sponsor a lot of motocross guys, um, some of the old metal militia guys and all these markets that I like doing. I like fishing, I like hunting. So I'll, the people I watch, I'll reach out to them and say, I really like your stuff. And it's not a, that's not just a marketing. And you think that those people have an audience that would be your audience. Right. Although I personally, I think your product seems like something that everybody could use. It is. Which is, it is. Which is pretty awesome. It is. But uh, when it comes down to it, I don't have uh, that company I talked about had a team of 10 people that did nothing but searched YouTube channels. Right. And we just don't have that. We don't have 10 people to sit around looking for who can we contact today to send the stuff to. Okay. So you can just say you have a key bar already. You could see the letter opener feature on there and buy that letter opener and put it on your key bar, right? From anyone we've made from day one. Okay. And and what are the costs? Our small key bar junior is about half the size of a standard key bar. And actually, it's about two thirds of the size, but it doesn't come with a pocket clip. Uh, our pocket clips are titanium and it doesn't come with the extended screws to get you 12 keys. It only holds five keys. And it, it can be extended. It just doesn't come with everything you need. And that's um, $20 is our entry. And then they go up to the world's most expensive key holder we have, which is solid silver with 57 black diamonds. And it gets crazy. Um, but our standard is about, you know, 40 to 100 bucks is, is where we're at. And, um, and that's going to get you something titanium with a nice pocket clip. And, uh, and then you can, buy, you can buy an expensive one or a cheap one. And so... You know, the letter opener feature that I came up with, we were talking about giving it a, a, a name. Yeah, I don't know if he named it. What is it? What do you <laughs> want to call it? I just told, I don't even know what he called it. So I haven't seen the website. So I have no idea what he put up there. It, it probably says letter opener. Yeah, I'll tell you what it says. Um, but I'm I'm just so honored and amazed that you would just take a product that I, I mean, even though you say it takes you a year to start using a machine, yet... Well, that was initially the initial right dive into CNC machining. So this this is it says titanium letter opener insert. I'm telling you, I'm gonna call it the I'm gonna call it the Noah. Oh my god, that would be so awesome! The Noah letter opener. I'm gonna totally put that on social. Do you have anything else uh, you want to say to the people of the world? No, man. I, I mean, a, there's a bunch of different people that could be listening to this. You could be, you know, you. You um, sell used CNC machines, so you probably hit both types, right? You hit the companies trying to buy machines and improve their processes or more production or new capabilities, right? Kind of like what we're doing now. And you probably get the guys that are in their garage that really need a bigger machine and are scared or never had a machine like I was that are scared to, to purchase one because they're just not familiar with them, right? Enough. And my biggest thing is, you know, I have a few sayings. Uh, one's nobody's going to build your castle for you. And so nobody, and if you think about it, nobody's going to make your life better for you other than yourself. So 
no matter what it is, your passion, your drive, don't be scared enough to not do it. There's a lot of people out there that will help you. Um, I guarantee you, if somebody called you and asked you about a machine, you didn't have an answer and you're going to maybe connect them with somebody and maybe that guy relieves the stress or worry this person had or whatever. Or if you have a process you can't handle. I mean, there's people out there that'll help you. Never really alone with the with Google nowadays. And so that is some words of wisdom. Just, just take the dive if you have a dream and go for it. Because uh man, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And and you know, so if you got something you want to do, do it now. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music